Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast with WHIO meteorologist McCall Rydags and Kirsty Zontini. Remember, you can listen to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast anytime you want on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and WHIO.com. Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast. I'm meteorologist Kirsty Zontini. And I'm meteorologist McCall Rydags. I want to thank you for joining us here. Uh, it is the middle of January. We are recording a new uh, podcast episode with uh, really covering a topic we have not covered much yet. Yeah, but I believe it sparks a lot of conversation, and we may not necessarily deal with this phenomenon a lot Mm -hmm. in the Miami Valley or across Ohio. We do, but we hear about it a lot more in the news globally. Yes, exactly. And we're talking about earthquakes. And McCall and I are meteorologists, which means we study the atmosphere, but geologists are the ones that study uh, the earth. And we have an expert with us today from the University of Dayton. So we're honestly just going to get right into this, McCall, because I think he's going to teach us quite a bit. (laughs) Exactly, especially since we've had a lot in the news about earthquakes happening in Puerto Rico, those Mm -hmm. aftershocks, like what is happening, what is causing, and really get down to the basics because it doesn't matter how old you are. Sometimes just going over those terms and getting a a full understanding of what they all mean, I think that this is going to be a really educational podcast. I agree. You learn about plate tectonics in elementary school, and so we're going to go back to school for those of you who may not have thought much about it. And like you said, with everything in the news, it should help to bring a better understanding when you're maybe hearing these news stories or seeing this video uh, as to what's going on. So I do want to welcome Dr. Alan McGrew. He teaches at the University of Dayton, and he actually began in 1995. So like I said, he is a true expert for us. He teaches lots of different courses. Maybe you had him if you listened to our uh, podcast and you went to UD, uh, Introductory to Geology, Earth Science, Engineering Geology, uh, Structural Geology, just, I mean, so many courses that he teaches. And he is... I don't know if you know this or not, but I spoke to a couple others in your department, and you are the plate tectonics expert. So uh, thank you, Dr. Well, uh, McGrew, for joining us. Uh, thank you both for having me. I'm uh, looking forward to being here. Thanks a lot. So let's just maybe start with the basics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What plate tectonics, for those who have maybe heard this term before, what exactly are we talking about? So the basic idea is that the, the Earth's outer crust, it has this a rigid outer layer that's broken into a few really huge plates. So the biggest is the Pacific plate, which covers most of the Pacific Ocean. So, um, and, and, but some are very much smaller, and one of the smaller ones is the Caribbean plate that's mm-hmm. uh, been a, in the news yes. recently with Puerto Rico earthquakes. And they are... So pretty much all the action, if you like, in terms of tectonics on Earth, not all of it, but the vast majority of it, 90%, is at those boundaries between those huge plates. So we're in the middle of a plate here Mm -hmm. in Ohio, so there's not too much risk of seismicity, a little bit, but, but the Caribbean plate, for instance, is one of the smaller ones that kind of moved right in between North America and South America, and it 
makes an arc that we call the Antilles, the lesser and greater Antilles, um, uh, uh, some islands that are uh, formed because the plates there are coming. It's overriding the Atlantic plate at about an inch a year. So it doesn't sound like very much, but you multiply that by a million years and... uh, that's about 25 kilometers in a million years, 250 in 10 million. It adds up over time. Exactly. And those plates all work in different ways. Not all of them um, react the same way when they come into one another. Can you talk about yes, that? Yes, that's exactly right. So in the case of the Caribbean, it's actually an interesting one in this regard because um, the where there's kind of a head-on collision, if you mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. between the, the Caribbean plate and the uh, Atlantic, the, the plate, the North American plate that actually extends out underneath the um, Atlantic Ocean. But it kind of makes a 90-degree bend oh. as you ground in toward Puerto Rico and Hispaniola, where the uh, Haiti earthquake was a okay. few years ago. And um, so the two plates there are mostly sliding beside each other, although there's a little bit of pushing together, if you like. Then other, other plates are pulling apart, mm-hmm. and that would be happening, for instance, at the Mid-Oceanic Ridge or even uh, in some areas in the continents. Uh, I do a lot of my work out in Nevada, and uh, okay. that's actually, California is actually spreading away from the rest of us. Who would have guessed? Right. <laughs> I was actually going to ask that's about that. Let's, get right, Let's get right into California. So, yeah, explain a little bit, because, of course, in the United States, you hear about the San Andreas Fault, and you hear about California, but as someone who's directly studying it, what, I guess, is something interesting that you have studied or, or come across or learned over the past, like, decade or so? Okay, so the main plate boundary in the western U.S. is kind of a complex scenario, and we have all the different kinds of plate boundaries out there. But the main one that people will have heard of is the San Andreas Fault, which Mm -hmm. is moving up the coastline, basically from L.A. up toward San Francisco, and then bends out to sea um, in northern California. But that is moving up at about, um, oh, I... uh, trying to remember the numbers, right. maybe <laughs> on the order of, uh, it's faster than the Caribbean plate was okay, moving, yeah. but let's say five to 10 centimeters per okay. year. And the um, as that's going though, you also have um, basically the state of Nevada, Western Utah, an area we know as the Basin Range Province is spreading at about a 10th that rate, much, much slower. And so that's that's this expansion that's occurred. But it's been enough to double the width of Nevada wow. um, over the last what? few tens of millions of years. And so I'm, wow. I'm having the, uh, and so that's what I've, I've worked on primarily through most of my career in terms of research is looking at how that happened. That's I know insane. it's like, re- yeah, that is, I did not know to that. Think that the state is actually growing. It's right. right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But so I know that I've read about this before in papers uh-huh. is that the, the fault line, the San Andreas fault line uh-huh. is overdue for that big quake. Can mm-hmm. you talk about that and how serious it is if, and when that quake happens? And, and from what I read it, it will happen. Yes. It, it, they will happen. Active faults will produce earthquakes mm-hmm. eventually. And the, um, it's not, there's different segments of the San Andreas Fault. Some are at much higher risk than others, but unfortunately the one that's probably at highest risk hasn't really had a major earthquake since about 1857. It's the Southern California segment, which of course is where 
Los Angeles is and where tens of millions of people live. So it's a, um, so it's an extremely serious risk. Um, the closer you are to the fault, the closer you're going to be to the earthquake epicenter and the more damage you're likely to experience. And these are tend to be shallow earthquakes could be what uh, magnitude eight earthquake, which is what we call great earthquake. And, uh, would be very, very, uh, it could have hundreds of billions of dollars of damage and, and, and worse, you know, uh, could have quite a few deaths. Um, but, and, and you mentioned something in there that I think that's extremely important when you're talking about earthquakes is the depth of the epicenter. Yeah. And right. can you explain why that's so important when an earthquake occurs? Cause you can have a, you know, magnitude four closer to the surface and a magnitude seven further down and right. that, you know, may not be as impactful. Right. And that, the, and they can range from most of them and on plate boundaries like the San Andreas or where I study in Nevada, they're in that upper 10 kilometers. So that's close to the surface. And basically that, um, we hear about the epicenter, but underneath that is what we call the focus. And that's how deep the earthquake is. And of course, that's where the energy is originating from. So it's just like throwing a boulder into a pond. Um, you're going to get a wave. It's going to radiate away. Mm-hmm. And as it radiates away, it will get less in magnitude. So you're going to have much bigger magnitude uh, or uh, much more shaking close to the close to that focus. And if that's shallower, if it's close to the surface, it's going to get to you faster with less warning with um, and with greater wave amplitude, greater shaking. So uh, for the same size earthquake, it might be much less damaging. Wow. Yeah. The other issue is which direction the energy is propagating. So if it's propagating uh, directly up, you're going to get more vertical motion. But in the San Andreas case, it's, it's kind of what we call a strike slip or yeah. transform boundary. It's side by side. And so it's got to be shaking laterally. Mm-hmm. And that you can imagine that's going to um, if you have those tall buildings, I was going to say, right, just right. move them, really yep, just right. make them wobble back right. and forth. That's right. You talked about, um, of course, what you had just mentioned about not getting much warning. I mean, as meteorologists, we're always forecasting. Exactly. Is there, what's the, what's the technology that's used or, or how are people able to kind of get warnings or alerts that there could mm-hmm. be, or is there, you right. know, and how much warning so is available? The, um, yeah, that's a really great uh, question. And there is where in earthquake science, mm-hmm. we've gotten pretty good at what we call forecasting, which would be our risk, long-term risk, decades out. Right. Uh, and which can be helpful, you know, that we know we're going to have a big earthquake in Los Angeles. We know it's coming in the next few decades, very likely. We, that tells engineers that we have to build right, for that earthquake and, 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 and so forth. So that's useful, but it would be really useful if we could say, as you do with hurricanes, yeah. there's got to be an earthquake next week. Right. Um, we can't do that, but what we have what, and what they are implementing in California, and now I believe up and down the West Coast as planned, is an early warning system. And this is not, the earthquake has already occurred. But it takes time for the waves to travel from that origin point to where the damage is going to be. And so you have um, a time and some that fortunately the first waves to travel, the fast ones, are not the ones that do most of the damage. That's good. So they get to the seismograph stations. The seismograph stations 
look at those waves and they say, this has got to be a big one. They telemeter the warning out using smartphones, wow. uh, among other things, yeah. and to nuclear power plants, to hospitals, et cetera. And so that doctor has a chance to, to say, um, we have maybe less than a minute to begin to try and stabilize this patient and so forth. So, I and um, yeah, I would not want to be on the position of receiving that because like right. you said, it's so quick and yeah. you know, your brain right. tries to process this for real. Right. So you're talking about two different waves, P and S waves, correct? Right. That's so right. So what is the difference between the two waves? Oh, this is, this is kind of fun. So the P wave, the S wave, the P waves move faster. Uh-huh. They P stands for primary. And they move, um, so they're the first to arrive, and they move a lot like sound waves. And, uh, or, uh, and the, the, the vibration direction is the same way the wave is moving. And so I think about it, if you think about uh, standing in line at Disney World, those long lines and pulses of people get on the ride, and then there's this expansion and contraction as they move, and you can watch this kind of pulse moving toward you. That's a P wave. Okay. Um, an S wave is what you see in the football stadium when you get in, and people, the individual particles are moving perpendicular to the way the wave is uh, moving, right? The individual people are standing up and down uh, and uh, and waving or whatever, <laughs> yeah. uh, but then the wave is moving around the stadium. So that's, that's excellent. A, that, it's like literally doing the wave. <laughs> right, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. It's literally it's an S wave. Okay, right? yeah. yeah, that is actually a great uh-huh. like way to conceptualize and think mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so California, of course, like you said, that's one of those high-risk areas. Back to Puerto Rico, was this... I, it was a magnitude 6.5 or 4. 6.4. And yeah. so that was would that be. Is that on the docket for them or is that just uh, considered? They are on a plate boundary. Um, this one was not on their sort of the main plate boundary actually okay. runs along the north side of right, the island. Right, that's what I thought. That's the Puerto Rico yeah. Trench, okay. they call it. There's a trench on the south side that is not so well understood. It's called the Mertos Trench. And this was closer to that. I think it was on kind of a splay or side fault to that. So this was kind of your, um, I I wouldn't say that it was uh, the risk. It wasn't surprising, but it wasn't um, forecast either. It wasn't, um, and it's not really, it's not the big one that they could have there. It's about an order of magnitude less than that uh, poor, uh, the Haiti earthquake that killed 200,000 yeah. people. Mm-hmm. And so the, um, and when you say one, one order met 6.4 to say 7.4, it doesn't sound like very much, but you have to keep in mind that this is a magnitude scale, meaning it's factors. Uh, And so one step in magnitude is about 10 times the shaking or 32 times the energy released. So if you have um, two steps in magnitude, that's a thousand times more energy. So it would be um, about a thousand times less energy than you might expect for uh, a a great earthquake in Southern California, to give you an idea. Okay. that's horrifying because I right. look at the Richter scale and, mm-hmm. you know, and you say these numbers, but I, and I knew, you know, just looking at the numbers and looking at the type of damage, uh-huh. but I think that, you know, knowing that it's 10 times greater mm-hmm. just by that one factor is 
incredible. Right. right. It is. It is. It is amazing, and it's maybe useful to think about. As I recall, this earthquake mm-hmm. is roughly similar to the amount of energy that was released by the um, Hiroshima or Nagasaki wow. bombs. Oh wow! So um, it's, it's basically like your your community literally being nuked. If you wow. had right underneath it, if you're right on top of the epicenter. So that, Forge, this was a little bit out to sea. I was going to so say, right. The, no one was living right on top of it. Okay. But um, but it still did a lot of damage. Does a lot of damage, um, especially, in, and it's amazing that engineers have gotten pretty good at engineering for it. But, of course, Puerto Rico, it's an American territory, but it has um, less less engineering, uh, probably, uh, you know, a little than, than, say, California would. Um, less prepared than a lot of uh, American states would be, and it's uh, and fr- uh, you know sadly there's more corruption there. So even if you have the building codes, um, there's people sidestepping it. And I understand. I've heard from uh, texted when I heard I was doing this uh, former student who's in Puerto Rico, oh, San wow. Juan, and he said there had already been a couple arrests. Oh, um, mm. and people yeah. who had shortcut the building. Codes. That's sad. Mm-hmm. So you have a 6.4 magnitude quake. How important or damaging it is, is it to have that aftershock? And can you explain aftershocks yeah. as well? And so a lot of times the analogy I make is if you think of a boxing match mm-hmm. and uh, how many times is it that, the, you know, the big punch right. staggers the, the, the boxer and it's the follow-up that not, takes him down. That's that's with aftershocks you can that's the one kind of earthquake that is absolutely uh predictable and so the rule of thumb is that within 24 hours you're gonna get an aftershock about at least uh an order of magnitude um lower you know by by i mean an order of magnitude lower or greater than that mm-hmm. so you okay. may get what they call a doublet earthquake which would be another of a um uh, of about equal magnitude, or it's even possible. The, I looked at the U.S. Geological Survey mm-hmm. site this morning. They're saying that there's a three or four percent chance that this earthquake was a prelude to a larger earthquake. In other words, a foreshock, and they don't know that until Happen. the larger one Happen. happens. Wow. But um, anytime the rule of thumb is, if you're having a lot of earthquakes. You're having a lot of earthquakes. Right. That they come they come in clusters and what they're probably about almost eighty percent chance they're saying now that that what we're gonna see is an exponential, you know, decay in the number of um, aftershocks that we're seeing. So hopefully we've yeah. already had several okay. magnitude fives. Those can do damage by themselves. Yeah. They've had several earthquakes about the size of the largest earthquake in Ohio history, which okay. which was back in 1939 or something, but mm-hmm. was enough to close the school. To, wow. So it's uh, they they certainly in that range, that five plus range, they can still do significant damage, especially if the buildings have been weakened right. by uh, uh, you know major shock. Yeah. Speaking of Ohio, can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the quakes that uh, sometimes we hear in the news as well, and sure. uh, what might be causing those? Yeah, sure. And so they can be. There, Ohio is not 
known for its earthquakes, but it does have a history, and there are certainly a lot uh, naturally occurring earthquakes that have occurred in Ohio. But the probably the most controversy in the re- last decade or so has been since that um, there was an earthquake in Youngstown mm-hmm. back in the early 2000s, yeah. and uh, that was shown to be actually human-induced. So, uh, and a number, there's a number, Ohio actually has something like 180, I think, deep waste injection wells. And so these are, are very, they want to put them deep so mm-hmm. that they're not a threat to groundwater. People are drilling maybe 100 or 200 feet down. These are going thousands of feet down, and they're injecting hazardous waste um, in recent years, most of it being from hydro- fracking, hydraulic fracturing for to produce oil and gas in Ohio, which has come to Ohio big time. But the um, but it's not so much that fracking that causes the earthquakes; it's the waste disposal that they put such large volumes down, and it's been shown that it can trigger if it as that water pressure goes up underground, it can actually relieve the resisting forces that are keeping these very ancient faults that we have underground. Uh, Ohio was a billion years ago, was a plate boundary, hard enough to imagine, but uh, those faults are still down there. They still have stress on them, and normally they they wouldn't move or at least would move much, much more rarely, mm-hmm. but um, human activities can speed up that movement and cre- increase the frequency. And, We've already seen that in Oklahoma uh, in a mm-hmm. big way. That it's it's there now higher earthquake activity in Oklahoma than in California. Yeah. Higher wow. rate of seismicity. Yeah, so, if, uh, we have a. I was going to say we follow meteorology. We've got yeah. a sister yeah. station uh-huh. um, in Oklahoma, and I, I do follow one of the meteorologists. I feel like she is constantly talking about quakes. Yeah, little quakes. They're little and quakes, but it's like. Ten, very frequent. Ten years, or certainly 15 years ago, if I logged on to the U.S. Geological Survey earthquake site, boy, you would just never see an earthquake in Oklahoma. And uh, so it, it can happen, and uh, and they and there's been some increase in earthquake activity here in Ohio as well. That's probably relate, related. And se- several more cases than just the Youngstown right. case now has been demonstrated to be related to uh, what they call induced seismicity. In other words, artificially caused by human activity. So you've been doing some research along the Ohio River? Yeah. Yes. I. Um, so I had a student at UD a couple years ago who uh, we noticed um, this coincidence between these very small quakes, magnitude two or three. Mm-hmm. So um, people at best would hardly feel them. But um, a coincidence between those and several deep injection wells down around Marietta. And uh, there's a segment, the Ohio River actually has quite an um, uh, interesting history, but that's one of the, it was kind of net together after the ice ages. And um, that's one of the youngest segments of the river, and it's very straight there. And we were able to look at well data and uh, demonstrate that there actually is a fault-controlled river there. In other words, the fault has broken up the rock, and um, it is um, the, the river is being guided by that weak rock. And that is the same. Some, a number of these injection wells are within 
even, you know, half a 500 meters, you know, mm-hmm. like a hardly a quarter mile from the river, um, or you know, could throw almost throw a stone wow. in the river. And so, um, having it that close to a fault, and this is part of actually a fault system that hooks up with the, what they the Kentucky River fault system that runs through Kentucky and it's known to be active. Um, so uh, there is, I think, a risk, uh, a potential risk of earthquakes that you could have induced seismicity there, I think up to magnitude five, up to these some of these aftershocks that have been damaging in Puerto Rico and similar to the highest magnitude we've yeah. had in Ohio history. So That's wow. kind of scary to think about. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, fracking is happening, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. and you, you would only hope that there would be some type of conversation with a geologist right. of... Mm-hmm. where this fracking is happening. And they do have an approval process, and that's one of the roles of scientists is uh, I need to get this information out there and published and uh, um, and to have other scientists look at it. Um, so it's a, um, they, they do have an approval process, and it's not that, uh, it's mostly these deep waste injection wells that are an issue. It's very occasionally but very rarely is the fracking itself it would only be like in right. that in that case that the fault has to be right there where they're fracking and so uh um it's a much much more likely to be the deep waste injection wells which are much more widely spaced and you don't have to put them close to a known fault mm-hmm. so. uh, right that's so interesting to think mm-hmm. about just for you know how everything is connected in, in the uh, sense right. of the earth and like what you're doing you Mm-hmm. You said these are ancient faults in Ohio. Like, right, we, we and they're down there and yeah. invisible to us until they remind us that they're down there. <laughs> yeah, oh my goodness. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining All us. All right, well, I've really enjoyed it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, I, I've i learned a ton. Yeah, <laughs> we could go on and on and on. Uh-huh. So many questions. i just sit down we, forever and ask. Well, that's great. Um, <laughs> I, you're quite knowledgeable. I thank you, and uh, you're, you've done a great job well. leading me through. Thank you. We appreciate that very much. Remember, if you have listened to Cloudy with a Chance of Podcast and you want to continue listening, we have tons of episodes. And we also have a year review that we did uh, earlier in the month. And you can listen right on your Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, or WHIO.com. McCall and I also have a couple of vodcast episodes. And McCall, that's on our uh, our app, right? Yes. If you have Apple TV, Roku, or Amazon Fire Stick, you can download the app there. And you'll be able to see some of those vodcasts video versions of our podcast right there on the app. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.